Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription. Trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon show. However, this time it's going to be the Birdies and Rum show. Uh, Karen, thanks so much for join us, joining us from uh, you're in Colorado. Uh, I hope you got a chance to ski today, or you may have been uh, been making rum at uh, Montana Distilleries. I don't know which was it. It was a, it was a rum day. Actually, what I spent most of the day doing was building our new still. So I was just oh. racing over to the conference room so that because there's noise every literally everywhere. Um, and I just put together a 500 gallon still, which is kind of a big deal. <laughs> that, that, that's impressive. I mean, I, I hope we got some videos of that online or on your Instagrams or. Yeah, I just we just took a bunch of pictures. It was it was very photo worthy. Nice. Sweet. And that's, um, so I, I was taking a look and, and we're definitely going to dig into your story a little bit and, and give you plenty of time to talk about, um, about your experience and, and why rum, uh, thanks so much for, uh, for sharing a couple of, uh, couple of samples with us. I, uh, I, I did send Dan over some, so we can't wait to, uh, to taste those while we're talking with you, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I mean, that's, uh, I guess that's the reason you're making it so we can enjoy it. Right. So I mean, that, that, that's the key. And, uh, I, I really, so I, you know, just real quick, I mean, I was, uh, I was reading up a little bit about you and, uh, you know, the whole India experience sounds awesome. I don't know how much you're going to, how much you want to chat about that. And, you know, if you want to tell that story or not, but really, really cool. Uh, I haven't had a chance to get to India yet and it may be, it may be extended at this point, just given the uh, the environment that we're setting in. But but so be it. I'm I'm patient enough. I can uh, I can wait and and taste what's happening here. But um, yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you share the Montana story with us? And how did you wind up in Colorado making rum? <laughs> well, it does really go back to India. Um, you know, I was sitting on a beach in Goa, India, back in 1980 nine in January. Um, I had been in a really bad accident actually. And I like basically, you know, had 36 stitches in my ear and my head. And so I was convalescing on the beach and more than anything, I just really wanted to have a drink. Um, and so I was kind of wandering around and it was an old Portuguese colony and um, you really couldn't get much. You could get beer, but I, I've never been a beer drinker. So finally this bartender brings down off the shelf, like a shelf behind you and, um, brings this bottle of old monk rum, which is, you know, kind of a vestige of the British Raj in India. Um, but is, you know, is now this very humongous Indian company making sure. rum. And it was just my first taste of like aged, you know, kind of, interesting, really flavorful rum. Um, it's, you know, I, my palate has come a long way since then, and I wouldn't say it's my favorite now, but it was my first introduction. And I just thought, oh my gosh, what is this? And it started a really a lifetime love affair with the spirit that's been going on now for 30 two years or something. Nice. Um, nice. I love, I'm such a, I'm probably, you guys are maybe bourbon fanatics, but I'm a super rum fanatic and I have been for such a long time. 
Well, people that are going to be listening, they've they've uh, they've heard us say this before. If we called it um, birdies and alcohol or golf and bourbon, it just really wouldn't have the ring that birdies and bourbon does. So, number one, thanks for being open and uh, and giving us an opportunity to uh, to chat with you and and get a uh, as personal of an experience as we kind of can right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we really appreciate that. But um, you know, it's it's you know, bourbon is kind of a placeholder for all spirits. And you probably can't see it behind me. And and I've got the two important ones that we're going to talk about tonight, which are, uh, you know, two uh, Montagna expressions. I I can't lie. I did go ahead and pour myself the uh, Platino. Uh, I I feel like it's rude if you uh, gave it to me to share and I don't enjoy while we're going through this. But, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, as I was kind of catching up and and Chris, I I don't know how much we want to, we don't have to get into that story, but, uh, you know, the the gentleman that introduced us, I I really appreciate that. And and then again, I, we appreciate you taking the opportunity to get on with us. Um, You know, as I was reading up and kind of where you are and and I've, I've made a few uh, trips and I hope we get to talk about your Belize experience a little bit. So I've been, been to South America, hit Central America and uh, you know, Cuba and the Dominican. So I've kind of run through the Caribbean and and the rum aspect and, you know, it's, you know, people think rum, right. And, and I I hope I'm going down the right road. I, I haven't tasted yet. I was, I always like to wait for people that share with us so I can kind of, like, you know, where are you and what do you, what, what are you thinking? I mean, when you're, you're creating your, your expression or, or expressions and, and what direction are you kind of going? And, you know, and, and, uh, it, it, I think I said, I've since went to Cuba and, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting in, in what you're doing and it's, it's a barrel aged rum. I mean, while, you know, you, you can mix any spirit, uh, you know, as I'm kind of reading and learning about what you're doing, I mean, this is a, uh, you know, barrel aged in a sense. And, and rum's one of those spirits that can, it doesn't have to be overly aged. Uh, you know, it can be a young spirit and still have a lot of flavor and, and pull a lot of out of the wood, et cetera. And, you know, it, it can be sipped neat. It's not, don't think about it goes into a daiquiri. I mean, this can be like, this can be the drink just on its own in a glass. Exactly. Most people think white rum, you know, Oh, that's going to be harsh. It's going to be intense. A lot of white rum is not aged in Oak, but that white rum that you're, um, that's in your hand is, a an aged white rum. It's spent a year or longer in American white Oak. So, um, and then I filter it with coconut husk carbon to pull the color out, but leave the bulk of the flavor behind. Um, so it, takes it back to clear because I'm a huge daiquiri fan and I love, um, clear spirits as well. There are a lot of clear spirits folks out there. Um, you know, so it kind of melds two different traditions that clear rum spirit that's, that's compatible with say a mojito or a daiquiri, but also the desire to have a really high quality flavorful aged rum. Um, so it's kind of both of those things in one glass. But you were you were mentioning, you know, like you asked me the question, really, how did I get to Colorado? Yeah, sure. It kind of, it was like India, <laughs> Maine, Belize, um, Colorado. So, you know, I was sitting on a beach in Belize. There's a theme here, um, which is a theme with a lot of rum drinking, I think. Um, but I was in Belize, and I thought, I really 
wanted to change careers. I was a graphic designer, web designer, kind of brand builder. Um, and I'd had my own company for 12 years and it was really amazing. But at the end of every project, I just handed it off to someone else and was like, Hey, go have fun, go create your dream. Um, and I would pull all nighters and like work my tail off for everybody else's big goals. And um, I said to my husband, I was like, I want to start a rum distillery. And he was like, really? Okay. Um, well, not, not something you hear every day. And especially, and, and you know, if you look through your website, you know, you've got a lot of accolades for, uh, you know, being a, a female entre- entrepreneur and distillery owner. So, you know, congratulations on, on that aspect as well. Well, you can imagine when I started 13 years ago now, um, almost 13, it'll be 13 in April. Um, I, there were, you know, there were no women, like literally everywhere I went, it was me and a lot of dudes and, you know, and everybody was like looking around behind me, trying to figure out, you know, who's really in charge. Who are you you with? Yeah. Yeah. Who should we really be talking to? Um, And, you know, it just really kind of came to the front of this day today where it was like, you know, we had forklifts and, um, you know, we were dropping this 800 pound top onto a still that had to be lined up to these really micro screws, you know, probably 75 micro screws that went all around it. And I mean, like nobody is telling me how to do this project. Like I had to figure it out every single step. Like how, how are we going to attach this to the forklift and how are we going to set it down in a way that doesn't cause any pressure in the wrong place against these brass screws. And so, you know, it's, it's been me all along. I've had great help. Um, but everything from, you know, designing a website and graphic design of the company to, um, making the rum, bottling the rum, and then figuring out how to fund the company. Like, how do you pay for 13 years of brand building growing internationally and nationally? And so it's been quite a ride as you can imagine, but I ended up in Colorado because I'm like a crazy mountain person and I love the mountains and, um, so I've been between Silverton, Colorado and Crested Butte, Colorado for, um, gosh, almost 20 years now. Um, so when I wake up in the morning on many days, I want to walk out the door and go skiing or go mountain biking or go running or trail, you know, hiking, whatever. Um, that's my first love, but really I discovered the mountain tradition of rum in, um, South and Central America. There's this incredible mountain tradition that isn't you know, it's just not well known in the Caribbean. Um, so when I discovered that, that was the big aha moment, like, Oh, I could do this myself. Cause I've got the really good high altitude water. I've got all, you know, the only thing I don't have right outside the door is sugar cane, but neither do many d- rum distillers anymore. Well, they for buy sure. sugar cane yeah. from really far away. Hmm. Yeah. And you're Joe, just to clarify you're so you're using the, um, what would I call, uh, you would call it like the, the, the French method. I don't know if that's, if I can say it, but, but I mean, you're using sugar cane, not molasses. I do use some molasses. So I, so there's a lot of lingo. Um, I would say my style is more Spanish style. Um, but 
in parts of Central and South America, they're doing a couple different things. Um, they're either using cane syrup, it's called. So yep. like in Nicaragua and Guatemala, you see a lot of cane syrup, which is basically everything that came out of the sugarcane plant, but then it's cooked um, over high heat. And in my case, I'm taking every single thing that was in the sugarcane plant, which includes about 12% of that is molasses, mm. um, and putting it back into my fermentations. Um, I take out the water and the bagasse. Um, bagasse is the fibrous solids of sugarcane. Sure. Um, if I had water in there, it would start to ferment on its way to me from Louisiana, which I don't want wild fermentation. It's really <laughs> hard to control. And it's going to be off-putting that- a little bit uh, at that point, right? Yeah, well, people do it. There are some beautiful like Clarens in Haiti, and there's some beautiful um, wild yeast fermented rums out there. But um, you don't want the ones that are like on the highway between Louisiana and <laughs> yeah, <Colorado>. right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So you, you're getting all of your, and a good friend of the show, he's down in, uh, he's in Louisiana. So you've, you source, you source from one, one location in Louisiana, right? I do. I have, you know, we're not a single estate rum, but we have single estate sugarcane, which means that our sugarcane is, is cut and the billets are milled for us on the same 50 square mile region, um, family farming region in Louisiana, um, Bell Rose area. It's near Lake Pontchartrain. Um, we're friends with and really close to our growing families. So they come visit us. I was just having breakfast with one of them a couple days ago. Um, cause they just finished the harvest like a week ago. So now they get to go on vacation after working literally like seven days a week for 76 yeah. days or something. Wow. So, <laughs> Hey, I, I'm not saying it can't happen, but if you can single source, rum in Colorado from sugarcane. That's damn impressive. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, but I'm, but I mean, I'm thinking everywhere sugarcane grows, like it's, that's going to be a little bit of a stretch in Colorado. Uh, there's no, the, the Louisiana growers that I work with are the highest longitude of sugarcane in the world are yeah. hmm. on the planet earth, wow. you know, so, so the most Northern. Um, so I, I can't grow it in Colorado. Right. Yeah. But what I can do is access some some very important things for the distilling process. Like, you know, if I were in the Caribbean, um, everything would run hot. Like my fermentations would run hot and I would put a lot of energy into cooling them. I don't have to do that in Colorado. My fermentations at our ambient temperatures run almost exactly the right temperature all the way through six, seven days of fermentation all the way through at the right temperature Hmm. with a very occasional need to like run a little bit of our tap water through a copper coil. Um, but I don't have to heat or cool that water in order to have it be the right temperature. It comes out of the tap at like 42 degrees, Hmm. cools it, cools it down in a copper coil. And so there's no energy input into that. So we're, really conscious of our sustainability, you know, every piece of energy that we use, every um, piece of waste that we produce, we're carbon neutral, we're um, plastic neutral, we're all, you know, 100% wind powered. So we think about every piece of energy and we use a heck of a lot less energy, you know, um, our, our rum in the still boils at a lower temperature than down at sea level. So we come to production more quickly. Um, you know, we, 
that I could go on for days about how it impacts like the rum in the barrel and the daily temperature fluctuations that force the liquid in and out of the pores of the barrel. And that's really great for aging. Um, and that just doesn't happen down at sea level. You, whatever goes in the pores of the barrel is what's going to stay there for the whole time that the rum's in that barrel. Um, you know, which is, that's kind of a bummer for the 50 gallons of liquid that's in the center of the barrel and never gets access to the wood or the char or all the vanillins and sucrose, you know, everything that we think of as being delicious about a barrel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, I mean, it, so, you know, to your point, I mean, you know, you were Belize and, and, and central and South America and, you know, and, and uh, if you think about some of the islands where they're making rum, you know, you've got mountains there, but I mean, but those mountains really, really kind of just jettison straight up. Right. And, and, and you've got people literally farming on the side of hills, you know, and, and they're growing, uh, you know, coffee beans and, and whatnot, but there's really nothing accessible in a lot of those mountains. And, and if it is, it's probably, you know, it, it's, uh, it's residential versus, uh, you know, being able to, to, to take, uh, take barrels up that high versus when you get down to central and South America, where you've actually got mountain ranges, right? Cause it's the, the well, I mean, it, it's a bigger Island, right? I mean, it's uh, you know the continent of, and, and you've got a, you've got a lot more land space to be able to take that up. But, you know, and, and I was reading and you probably got you may get there. I'm, I hope I'm not jumping it on you, but I mean, you, you've landed in the mountains, so you don't have to truck anything up versus, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a laborious work where people are are, um, are creating this style of rum, right? But it's the effort of we're going to make it on, uh, you know, at sea level or, or just above, and then we're going we're gonna to transport that up to, you know, those. Uh, and I don't even know if anybody, I guess, I guess if you get over, but I, I don't know if I've had Chilean rum. I probably have. I, I can't recall if I did, but... But really, um, in Guatemala, you know, that was really where I learned this for the first time was um, in Zacapa, Guatemala, where um, they take their rums up. You know, I didn't even know there were 7,000 foot mountains in Guatemala. I'm at 9,000 feet in Crested Butte. Wow. Um, But, you know, they take their rums up to that 7,000 foot level to age um, for, you know, outside of Zacapa, Guatemala. And it's, you know, they believe and have for years and years and years that that is part of the magic of their, their rum. Like that rum, you know, was purchased a long time ago by a big international conglomerate and it's maybe not as good as it was back when I first discovered it. Um, but like you go down to Colombia, um, to Medellin, like way up in the mountains in the volcano kind of foothills there. And some of the rums are making in Medellin, Colombia are just insanely delicious. And I just, I find I like the style that is not a hundred percent molasses. I love a hundred percent molasses rum too. Don't get me wrong, but like the ones that really kind of kick me off as, and get me excited is like, um, all the beautiful, uh, central and South American rums that are made more from the full sugarcane plant, but not necessarily, they're not agricoles, you know, agricole style rums are all made from the fresh pressed sugarcane juice. Right. Um, I, I love those too. Like I'm sort of equal opportunity about it, but I really love the ones that are made from, um, you know, what they call the raw cane honey, which is like the first press of the sugar cane made from the raw, um, from the, the, you know, 
when you've heated sugar cane yeah, sure. one time or when you've, you know, extracted without, without refining, without over processing it, but you've extracted um, the water and the bagasse. And then what you have left is just this incredibly flavorful uh, ingredient, but it's not, it's not table sugar. It's not like what you'd get at the grocery store. Um, it's got a lot of character and, and it just makes beautiful rum, I think. Yeah. I mean, if, and I'm, I'm still on the, um, I'm still on the Platino, but I, I mean, just in a sense of what most people would think about rum, I mean, I'm, I'm almost, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of bordering some flavored whiskey ish kind of, you know, not, not flavored, right. <laughs> but, uh, finished, finished is, uh, is what I should say. Well, uh, that rum is finished in a whiskey cask from oh. one of our favorite whiskey companies in Colorado. Karen, so laws, he's laws. not, he's not that good. He's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't build him up anymore. <laughs> but Laws Whiskey House, which is in Denver, um, is a beautiful whiskey maker in Colorado. And I take their barrels as soon as they do a bottling and they decant a bunch of barrels. I take them. We can use them three different times. Uh, once for Oro or Exclusiva or Valentia. And then once, uh, sorry, three times for Platino. Um, so we get a lot of life out of those barrels um that that had whiskey in them to begin with so you're not crazy um when you taste the oro you'll be like oh there it is a little bit of uh whiskey on the on the finish that's for awesome sure. wow yeah i mean yeah i mean i think it's more the the complexities of what i'm getting um out of uh uh, you know, out of a clear rum. I mean, most of the time you're not expecting, which even so, I mean, you know, it's like, let's be honest. And it's as, uh, you know, I mean, before bourbon is bourbon, before you put it in the barrel, I mean, it's as clear as, you know, you're maybe even clear. I, you know, I live in Atlanta. It may be even clearer than my water, yeah, but uh, it, it's definitely not as clear as what you have. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a big metropolitan city, you know, they, they try to do the best they can, but, you know, but I mean, literally, I mean, this is, um, I mean, I'm pulling, you know, kind of what, and, and I was reading about what's, in, you know, we know what's in here, but I mean, it is complex in a sense of, um, you know, there's, there's vanilla, it's creamy. I mean, it's got a good mouth coat. I mean, there's a lot of viscosity in here and kind of what it's leaving and kind of moving around the glass. I mean, it's, um, yeah. And, and I'm, maybe that's something to be said for the altitude at what it's aging in the barrel in. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, when that comes out of the barrel, it's like the color of straw, you know, it's, um, it's pretty, it would look like and sip like an aged rum. Um, there was just a blogger from the UK talking about like, if he'd done it in a blind tasting, he would have said this was an aged rum and it's cause it is, you know, um, and then running it through the, um, the coconut husk carbon. Oh, yeah, to strip the color. You yeah. know, there's a lot of there's a lot of energy in the in the world of spirits around filtration. Like, a lot of people think it should be only for things like vodka, gin, whatever. But truthfully, um, with coconut husk, so most filtration, I'm probably telling you things you already know, but is bone or, you know, it's very designed to take not only the color, but the flavor and the odor and everything out of it. And you can tell, like, it doesn't do that with the Platino. It leaves behind the flavor and this and the nose um, and just takes the color out. And, you know, people probably have a lot of different opinions about that. But for me, because, um, you know, you make 
I, I don't like to name names of other brands of rum, but like to me, if I made a cocktail with a $12 bo bottle of light rum off the shelf, and then I put like a whole fresh lime and my own beautifully made simple syrup, I'm like, why would I put that crappy rum? <laughs> you can say shit if you want to. It's fine. It's up to you. So let me ask you this. So did they ever, and, and I think that there are, are, are uh, labels or distillers that do, they... They use charcoal also, right? Uh, unflavored, but don't they use charcoal to take, to strip the color out of rum? Yeah, um, oh yeah, tons of, you know, that's what carbon is essentially is charcoal. Okay, but yeah. It's made from so many different things out there in the world. You know, like there's there's a lot of different types of carbon and, um, and you know, there's carbon made from pine and carbon made from, like I said, bones. Um, bones are that's the most common for vodka. Hmm. So um, yeah, so so let me ask you. And this is um, this is self. This is a selfish uh, cow coming out. So so there are bourbon. Um, there are uh, there are whiskey distillers that that they have to, in order to call themselves a certain type of whiskey, they have to run themselves through charcoal. Uh, however, they've, they've aged themselves in new American oak uh, casks, mm -hmm. and, but they have to now, after that, they have to dump through a charcoal process doesn't that strip something? And, and I, I mean, I'm going to get back to the, the rum part in a second, but how does it take something? How does it add to the benefit of a whiskey and it doesn't take away from the rum in, or, or does it, is that exactly what's happening? Well, it's kind of what's happening. Like when you taste that Oro, or if you tasted our Exclusiva or Volunteer Anniversaria, you'd be like, Oh, okay. The more, the less, carbon filtration, the more robust the flavor profile, for sure. You know, I, there's a lot more left behind, but every now and then, I mean, you've had these cocktails, you want the rum to sort of go to the background a little bit. Um, and you want other flavors to, to be able to be more prominent with my Oro or, you know, my longer aged rums, the most prominent thing in a cocktail is going to be that aged rum and everything else is going to sort of, you know, come alongside it or behind it. And so the beauty of the Platino is that it can really enhance um, the smoothness and enhance the alcohol forward quality of, say, a daiquiri or a Hemingway or something like that. But it doesn't necessarily just come and like get right up in your face. And when I you like say when you say daiquiri, I I don't I'm not thinking about like an island oasis machine with a. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking about a daiquiri. I'm thinking about give me uh you know I will, give me give me crushed ice, give me um give me uh, I'll I'll cut the limes up myself. I may hit it with a little bit of a uh, little bit of grapefruit or something. Uh, but outside of that, I don't know, maybe a bitter or something, but that's, I mean, I'm really thinking like him away. I can just hit it. Uh. That's the, you know, that's what we call the Holy Trinity. Um, the Holy Trinity in rum is lime, sugar, and rum. And that's all it is. And that's all you would ever put into it. Um, and if, you know, so many different daiquiris have so many different profiles. So you put like a overproof Ray and nephew from Jamaica or something like that. And you're going to have this very funky, um, 
agricole style, like, you know, Jamaican funk kind of daiquiri. And then you put my Platino in there and, you know, really the, the best daiquiris have two, two and a half ounces of rum in them and the juice of half a lime um, and a tiny bit of sugar, whether it's in simple syrup form or, you know, people do it different ways, but you, um, you know, you have to use a really good rum to get a really good daiquiri and the balance is essential. And to me, if you can make a good daiquiri with the rum, then it's probably a good rum, but there are a lot of crappy daiquiris out there. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the sure. reason I went into the business is because I, I, I'm a rum person and I have been forever and I'd go into a bar and I'd be like, what do you make with the rum? And they'd, you know, tell me a pina colada or a strawberry rum. daiquiri. Would you like whipped cream or no whipped cream? <laughs> do, do you want a cherry also? <laughs> and I just would be like, you know, let me show you how to make a good rum cocktail. And so when I first started almost 13 years ago, seriously, there were no good rum cocktails in bars anywhere in America or overseas, yeah. or it just was not a thing. And I would like to think, you know, although it's been the efforts of a whole heck of a lot of people that I get to work with, but, you know, I'd like to think I had some tiny hand in helping the world to understand. I have a bar and restaurant here in Crested Butte and we make just beautiful handcrafted cocktails from really origin ingredients and um, many simple cocktails. And um, I just, you know, I'm like, rum cocktails can be good, as good, if not better than any other cocktail that you'll find on the menu, as long as you start with a good rum. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So I, so I'm on the, uh, the Oro right now. I'm probably going to go back to the Platino in a minute just to just to kind of compare the two. But this is going to sound maybe it won't sound crazy. I hope it doesn't because it's not. Um, I mean, it's I'm getting a lot of like I, I'm the first thing I got was a lot of coffee on this on the nose. Mm -hmm. And then as I kind of swirled and opened it up and it wasn't a it's not like a strong it's not ethanol that's coming out of this thing, but I'm almost getting like a. I'm getting some kind of weird tequila smell on this thing. So I don't know if it's the sugars and, and, or maybe the fermentation, but I'm, I'm like, it, it doesn't smell like tequila, but I'm like, and it, this is not like the, you know, I'm just, this isn't $18, uh, you know, plastic bottle shit. I'm talking, I'm talking like, this is like sipping tequila that is like, no, 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 no. You can just put that in a glass and maybe I would take it chilled. Maybe I wouldn't, but like, I don't need this even in a, a margarita. Like I can just sip the tequila and it, it's not a shooter kind of thing. Does that, do you ever hear that or get that? I hear, I hear all those things quite often. Um, a couple things. One is, you know, we used to hear coffee much more often. I don't hear that quite as often anymore. Hmm. Uh, we changed our sugarcane supply from Hawaii to Louisiana. And I think originally I used to hear coffee all the time hmm. um, because I think our sugarcane was grown alongside, you know, the Kona coffee plantation. Yeah, I am. That, um, it's a little more subtle now, but we do, I definitely hear it and I taste it. Um, I think that there's some interaction between, you know, sugar, the high quality unrefined sugar cane that we start with and those Laws whiskey barrels. So when I taste Laws whiskey, I taste a little coffee, a little pear, a little biscotti, those kinds of notes on it. And um, that comes right, you know, into the finish on the rum. But in terms of the tequila, like a reposado tequila. So yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, there's that to me makes tons of sense because we're both starting with a starch. You know, mine is sugarcane and theirs is agave, but those starches are starches and um, our process is really similar. So, um, you know, heating the starch um, in a boiler to pull out the bricks, like all the same kind of process. So, um, and obviously oak, you know, American oak, um, with- yeah, from the whiskey barrels for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah when I, I just, I mean, as you're talking, I mean, I'm still tasting, um, although it's, it's kind of faded, I, you know, I'd say it's kind of a medium finish on this thing, but it's, but I, I get the coffee in, uh, you know, on the, in, on the aftertaste, it's just that it's like coffee, coffee. I mean, I, I taste like, it's like, I just took a drink of coffee and I didn't really, it didn't hit me on the front, but I think it keeps finishing. Like I had, um, it's almost it's like if you had a real medium espresso, you know, and I don't know how you make a medium espresso, you add water, but then you just killed the espresso. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm just getting like so much of that kind of thick, uh, kind of creamy, uh, velvety texture that just kind of finishes. It's actually really nice. I, I you know, I caught it kind of early and I'm like, well, it's all right. That's it's rum. I trust her. It's in the glass. And I'm like, I'm getting a lot of tequila out of that thing, but it's, uh, but yeah, it, it's just interesting on the nose. And this is one of those that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like pouring this, letting it open up and letting it kind of sit and, uh, and mature. Uh, this is like good cigar smoking stuff for sure. Right here. Uh, the, the Oro absolute. So what was the premise behind changing from Hawaii, um, in terms of the, the sugar cane? Well, thank goodness I did because they've stopped all commercial sugarcane growing in, in, on the five islands of Hawaii since I started. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I started in 2008, which was like right on the heels of Hurricane Katrina. Okay. Um, and I had a really kind of, I don't know, I had a notion that wasn't correct. Um, one of, you know, 7,000 um, that sugarcane in a hurricane would get ruined and destroyed. And then if I, if there was like a crazy hurricane in, um, Louisiana that I wouldn't, that my sugarcane supply would be impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really not true. Sugarcane in a hurricane kind of lays down hmm. on flat on the ground, but you can still harvest it and there's, it still grows and you can still, you know, um, bring up the bricks right before harvest and all the things that you need to do to make it good. So, um, I was wrong about that. I thought if I went to Hawaii where they just don't really have hurricanes that I would have a better, more stable long-term supply. Um, but it turned out that I was buying it out of the commodity market in California. Mm. And they, when I went back to certify that it was American grown in Hawaii, they said, no, we can't, promise that it's in the commodity market. You might be getting Mexican grown sugarcane. And I was like, what? (laughs) Um, So that really quickly, I just pivoted on that and just said, okay, I gotta, I gotta find growers that I know growers that are going to be able to tell me what they're doing, that they can, I can contract with them to say, like, if you change this, you have to notify me. So since I began, GMO sugarcane has be, has just completely taken over the planet. Um, Brazil is converting a sugarcane. Brazil is the largest grower of sugarcane in the world. They're converting to GMO like crazy. And I didn't want GMO. I'm a certified B Corp, um, which means, you know, I'm certified by a third party that I meet the highest, most 
you know, rigorous standards of environmental and social practice as a company. And so I can't just go buy whatever sugarcane I want. Um, and so that was important, um, being able to really know and, and have direct relationships with my growers. Um, Hawaii was, and then like five, three, four or five years ago, Hawaii said no more sugarcane. Uh, people can grow it kind of in their own little farms, but, uh, the burning in the fields was just too environmentally impactful on the island. So my sugarcane is not burned in the fields. It's not hand, you know, harvested with human beings out there um, amongst the, you know, the snakes and the spiders. But snakes it's and good. gators. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's it's a good, really good crop that's machine harvested, and um, I'm I feel really comfortable and confident about my claims related to it. Well, that sounds like you guys made a really good pivot there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that it's it's like you know when I started in rum, nobody was talking about where their sugar cane came from. I mean, we all get it from somewhere. Even and so I would talk with these companies that were like on these tiny little Caribbean islands, and I'd be like, "Oh, Demerara rum, like you must be using Demerara cane," and they'd be like, "No, that's just the name of the river over there. <laughs> you know, we're getting our cane from Brazil." And I was like, "What?" You know, it was such an eye opener for me um, learning that many uh rum distilleries even if they're in these beautiful caribbean locations they're bringing sugarcane from really far away mm. and nice. a lot of people don't want to necessarily tell you the story gotcha yeah perfect yeah well yeah i mean because that's uh, i mean there's history behind it. i mean at one point in time uh they were using their own cane probably but then as things kind of you know as as the uh as as the world has matured uh you know they the plantations right i mean they they didn't exist anymore and and the uh the monopolies or or uh, you know however you'd like to go down that road i mean they divested themselves or were forced to divest because of whatever rulership that happened and uh you know it's like you, you can't do that that's not cool man you, you gotta you gotta go a different direction so yeah, it, it well, and the and the mills are you know typically very polluting not yeah. necessarily in the united states because of our clean air clean water acts but in you know a lot of parts of the world the mills are incredibly polluting and so they wanted them gone they didn't want them next to their houses or beaches or whatever yeah. And a lot of those um, mills were pumping affluent right into the ocean. Mm. That was not cool. They were getting shut down by their environmental protection entities. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to follow in terms of like how companies are functioning. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. So I've tasted these side by side and I think I've got uh, two completely different rums, uh, e even though, you know, the same uh, same distiller, uh, you know, I've got one that I'm going to use in a, uh, I'm using the, the Platino in a daiquiri for sure. Hemingway, Hemingway, let's, let's, yeah, be, yeah. let's be, let's be accurate. I'll <laughs> shake it myself. And, uh, the Oro that's definitely going into a, um, I mean, I, both of these, you can drink, you can sip deep without any issues. Uh, that's going to make a hell of a rum Negroni. Uh, yeah, we, uh, uh, Matt Hranick, you got, uh, you got some Oro coming your way for a, a rum Negroni for our next recording. So, um, but I, so I, I want to touch on the point cause you do something a little unique. I, I don't know if this is, well, it's unique as far as I've heard, as far as rum goes, uh, you put a, a drop of honey in each barrel. 
not in the barrel, but at bottling time. So we decant the barrel. We um, caramelize our own honey from the bees around our distillery. So we're literally like, you know, it comes out, fits in my hand for 420 bottles of rum. It's a tiny bit of caramelized honey. Mm. Um, It's unique to us. I take a lot of flack in the purest, like, you know, (laughs) rum world because they're like, that's, you know, that's not traditional. Um, You seem like you can handle it. I'm like, what is traditional about what I'm doing? I'm in Crested Butte, Colorado. I get my sugar cane from Louisiana. I'm not on an island. I'm at, you know, there's there's no GI here or tradition or, you know, Appalachian control A or whatever that I have to think about and abide by. So I get to do whatever I want. Um, but what I did learn a long time ago is that so you one of the things you were saying about coffee I think what you're identifying is just a slight uh, shift from coffee and that's bitterness, Hmm. um, which is really rare in rum. Most rums are really sweet and, um, you know, a lot of them have incredible amounts of added sugars and um, molasses caramels and just tons of different things. Um, A lot of coloring that also adds sweetening, et cetera. Um, I don't do any of that stuff. I don't add any artificial colors, no, no natural colors, no artificial flavors, no natural flavors. Um, but one of the things about honey is that it's acidic. So most people don't know that, um, or don't, you know, I've never learned that they think honey is a sweetener, but when you use it at the right, um, concentration, it's actually, it produces acid. Hmm. Um, and I realized a long time ago that I love those bitter flavors of say an Amaro from Italy. Um, I'm a huge, like when I go home at the end of the day, even before I would sip a little bit of rum, I will sip like Amaro Nonino or something like that. I'm a huge fan of, um, those bitters, Italian aged bitters. Um, and so that has influenced what I've created in Montagna as a flavor profile, which is on the bitter side instead of the sweet side. And that takes a lot of people by surprise um, because they're so accustomed to rum being sweet, but there's not, there's no sweetness, not a single carb in rum when it comes off the still. Yeah. Well, now you've really blown my mind because I'm, <laughs> I'm like going, well, shit. All right. Now, now I'm like going, okay, well now I'm getting more hot. You know, and, and you can, you can implant, you can, you can suggest tastes that people are going to get. Uh, but I, I'm still, I still get a little bit of a honey. Uh, I, I mean, I get a sweetness, uh, like a honey sweetness out of this, this, I, not, not so much the Platino. I got a little bit, uh, but I'm still getting some coffee out of the, uh, out of the Oro. Um, and I'm getting oddly enough, uh, it's, it's, it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this had rye in it. I know it doesn't, but it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if it had rye that was kind of, yeah, I mean, it's really, and this, this is sat, uh, when I hit it the first time, it's kind of like, yeah, okay. It, I, I had the tequila thing, but as this sits and opens up, it's kind of like, there's really something kind of just, I mean, this is, this is a bottle to decant and uh, kind of let it breathe and just sit around. And I, I can only imagine that it just continues to open and mature and, and give you just different things af- after the fact. Right. I wish that I, you know, we have, 
I guess last October, I released the Valentia, which was sort of my celebration of how far women have come in the distilling industry. Um, because, you know, we, we did everything like it was female distilled. It was finished in a rye cask from a female rye distiller in Virginia. Um, and you know, like women drove the forklifts and we did all the bottling and we, you know, it was, it's, it's an ongoing release, but it's one out of every, you know, 10 barrels of rum that we make. Um, but I think you would really like it because it has even more of that rye and it's got the longest finish of any rum I've ever tasted. It just goes on and on and on and on forever. So oh, cool. Yeah. Well, if, if you, if you release another and you, you can just scoop us a little, uh, <laughs> scoop us a small sample and send it our way. We'd love to get back on and chat with you about it. I mean, cause again, I mean, the things that are coming out of this, I mean, I could have gone, you know, like it's, so you mentioned a blind taste earlier. I mean, this is uh, we're, we're definitely going to put this uh, in some blind tasting stuff that we're going to do, you know, in, in the year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm actually going to pair this beside of um, uh, and, and it's, you know, you, you'll know what the difference is. I think this would be really interesting. And, and my blind tasting that you know we're going to do is it's like, hey, let's taste three and let's talk about which ones you like better. And what note you're getting? I think this would be really good up against a mezcal, and, and I and I know that a mezcal is going to be like smoky and it's going to be way out there, but like I think that whatever what you were pulling in from you know from that agave and and what this is going to complement off of it, I think this is going to fare better from what you pull off of that mezcal and could actually be like I'll take this over the I don't know that's just me kind of thinking out but you see where I'm going with it is like this pairing that you could kind of do a three um, a three blind tasting or four blind tasting and which one is the better one and I could see this one kind of being like yep this is really being complemented by some really different things so yeah. I, I, I was off on a tangent there. Sorry about that. But yeah, <laughs> no worries. You know, we. I wish I could take you guys into my bar and serve you some of the different cocktails. You know, we do everything from uh, old fashions and and Manhattans with rum, but we also, you know, we do like rum sours and. Um, I could just I could go on for days, but well, what's what's the so so you're in Crested Butte, Colorado. Yes. Um, and so it's Montana distilleries and or Montana distillery. And what's the, uh, what's the name of the restaurant and the bar? It's also, so we say Montana, okay. but oh, that's Montana, okay. excuse me. It's only because we're influenced by the Spanish okay. um, and Montana means mountain in Spanish. Um, and so, you know, we are mountain distillers. That's what we are. Mm -hmm. sure. um, so yeah, the, the bar and restaurant is the exact same thing. It's Montana distillers. It's right on the main street in this very busy ski town that you would, you know, look outside right now and you'd be like, wait, is there a pandemic? Because everybody's here skiing oh, well, yeah. <laughs> and it's a little scary a little weird but so far i mean my bar and restaurant reopened after a three-month shutdown on june 10th and we've managed to stay open you know for like 196 days or something like that awesome. oh awesome and uh, so you're uh I'm, I'm i'm cheating i'm pulling it up but you tell me uh so i've never been to crested butte i've been to vale been to uh, beaver creek and to, we're just uh, we're just over the mountains from 
um, Aspen. So if you were a crow, you could fly from outside my window right here to Aspen in about 22 miles. Um, but if you got in the car and you wanted to drive there at this time of year, it would take you about four hours. Wow. So, um, that's cause you got to go all the way around the Rocky mountain range that we're in. So we're in the West elk, uh, section of the Rocky Mountains. Um, it's absolutely spectacular. Uh, 9,000 feet. I'm looking, you know, outside my window. It's probably hard to see at this time, but there's a peak um, that is really um that's our ski area so we're part of the veil ski company i may uh, see it over the peak of the that the whatever the the building is i may see it to the my left maybe your right of the better outside there you go. i can see it now. Oh, oh, yeah. Da, oh yeah nope bingo <laughs> got it, it. <laughs> got it D done deal so hold on do we have like a gift do we have a like a uh, um like a coupon code or something <laughs> that we key in. Come <laughs> on down. Come uh, on down. Uh, so, how would you say the skiing is? And I know we probably got to let you go. We don't want to uh, to hog all your time. I mean, you well, you, you're not going to be skiing at this point, but uh, I'm sure you've got plenty of things to do. You're pu you're putting a new steel together. I, I, we want to hear about the new steel. I mean, why a new steel? Oh, because my company is growing um, really fast. So um, we, you know, we've been able to function for the last almost 13 years with two Alembic copper pot stills um, running all the time. So a lot of rum distilleries, most people don't know this, but a lot of rum distilleries do not distill all year round. Mm. Um, so, you know, even some of the American distillers like Privateer or whatever don't distill all year round. We distill you know, seven days a week, sometimes, um, 52 weeks a year. And so, you know, not every day, sometimes we shut it down to cool the still down or whatever, but I can't keep up anymore. Um, which is that's a, awesome. Man. It's, that's great. It's a really good problem. We, um, are shipping rum to, you know, the UK and the EU and 40, six States in the U S and, um, so I just, added a 500 gallon Alembic copper pot still that was handmade for me by a company in Portland, Oregon, just exactly to my specs. So it has a lentil, has double reflux. It has all this stuff that, um, you know, that people don't necessarily, um, see in a 500 gallon still you often you give up a certain amount of reflux or certain styles of reflux in order to have um, a bigger still. So I am just super excited about the, the increase in capacity. So this is a somewhat old school way to show you this, but you know, that was us oh, today. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's just the top. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a beautiful piece of machinery. This is, this is great. This is like dropping it today, right onto the top. Nice. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. So, so is, is, is it done or you're, it's still in the product? Can you put that, uh, that size of steel up in a day or is it, uh, you got some more work to do? Right now I have to connect the steam, the steam boiler to it. So it's steam jacketed. So my, my other copper pots are uh, direct fire. This one's steam jacketed. So now there's a lot of plumbing. So, so does that change? I, and I, I know we, I, I'm, I'm prolonging. Uh, you're like, God, these guys ought to let me go. But I'm just wondering, but no, but you're like, so, so we've got fire and now we're going with steam. 
is that is that a learned because what you told me that you were doing before is nothing like what you're doing now. I heard nothing about chemistry. I heard nothing about like uh, making liquor. And now all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm going from uh, from fire and I'm going to steam. So is I mean, is that like a learning curve that's going to like, is it is it is it like uh, we're going to we got to run a few tests. Uh, test batches through we already got it we're dialed in and we know what's happening i mean what's that what's that learning curve look like are you already you're already there yeah i have no idea i mean i haven't run a single batch on it i'll, I'll report back fairly soon report back. it's yeah it's challenging i mean i would rather have a um direct fire still if you go to the cognac region of france um and you walk into their distilleries when they grow they just add more and more of the stills that I already have. So you walk into a cognac distillery and it'll have 30 hundred gallon Alembic copper pot stills in a line right straight down the, you know, down the distilling row. It's so cool. And there is something really unique and amazing about um, caramelization that takes place in the still when there's a direct fire, you know, flame underneath and a hundred percent copper. But we go to 500 gallons and that just gets super dangerous to have a flame. Like I'm at 300,000 BTUs already on like a bomb. Yeah. It's not safe. So, um, I thought quite seriously about just adding more hundred gallon copper pots, but I can't, I can't get that space, you know, crusted um, anywhere. And is, that's, a, that's ski towns, mountain biking trails. I mean, it, it's used for other purposes, right? Well, it's, it's a big marijuana growing. You know, we were one of the first States to, Oh, I forgot to tell you. That's the one thing we don't talk about on the show. <laughs> well, well, I'm in, I'm in Georgia and Dan's in uh, North Carolina. So we have to, uh, agriculture, yeah. there's no. an agricultural pressure from a, farming growing <laughs> on uh, retail or sorry, wholesale physical space around me. Wow. So, um, so it just made sense to do, to do one 500 gallon still, and we'll see, you know, I'll let you know, but I hope that by using the same raw ingredients that I'm using in the same proportions and that you doing it at altitude in Crested Butte, um, proofing with the water that I proof with, which comes from a well 350 feet under my distillery. I just, I think it's going to be really close. And if it's not as close as I want it to be, I can blend. So I can take some of the blend, some of the old, I mean, it will, we'll still continue to distill on those hundred sure. gallon copper yeah. pots mm -hmm. um, and we'll blend it. And then we'll introduce what I love about the open flame into what I also probably will love about the, um, the, the cleanliness and the beauty of the rum that's coming off this new still. And we'll probably have something even more interesting for it to, to report in a year, a year and a half. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a few things. Um, and again, we don't want to keep you because we know, we know you're busy, but um, when we're in Colorado, we can smoke off. I mean, we can talk about anything you want to talk about. Um, yeah. when we, <laughs> actually, we can talk about it now. You know, it's, hey, what you guys do out there is what you, what you all do out there is what you do. We understand. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the Valentia, is uh you know we, we're so looking forward to getting uh getting our hands on a sample of that and uh i'd actually like to put that beside of um 
of a good bourbon uh, or or maybe a blended whiskey and kind of give that a, a t- I, I think that would hold up. And I think actually the uh, the or the, the Platino, I don't know, that's going to hold up beside of a of a good bourbon or blended whiskey. I mean, I think it's a rum on its own. The Oro, I'm going to put that beside of a good Mezcal. The Valentia, I think there's a um, what you're telling me is correct. I mean, I think that's like a, a taste off for sure. Well, and the Valentia is aged for four years. Mm. Um, so those ones in front of you are probably aged like 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the Valentia, the Exclusiva is aged for three years and the Valentia is aged for four. So mm. those are really like deep, oaky. Um, they're really different. Yeah, sure. All right. So you brought it up. You're thinking about doing any... Um, like uh, like marijuana infused. Uh, I don't even know if it's. I don't know what the laws are out there. I know that people are doing it, and people are trying to. Is that is that on the the radar for uh, Montana? Not for me. I'm not a you know. I'm not much of a marijuana gal um, yeah. just personally. But what is on the um, to do list is my first. Um, well, I shouldn't say I've already done a barrel program that was an overproof. But I want to do a bottled in bond. Um, mm. So, you know, all, all distilled by the same distiller in the same season here. We've already got the rum. We've made it. Um, and I want to bottle it at 100 proof. And um, I just, you know, I think personally, I it's taken me a long time to get there. Um, I think the more rum you drink over your lifetime, the more you really value those overproofs. It took me a while. Um, but I love, uh, some of the, you know, some of the beautiful overproofs that are out there in the market, some of the four square and worthy park and, um, yeah. and, you know, things like that. So we'd love, Hey, we would love, and there's, we've got, uh, we've got an outlet to run that through. Um, if you're, uh, if you're introducing a barrel program, uh, we, we've got a Avenue to uh, do that. And he does a lot of rums. Yeah. We, and- have a really, we have a really robust barrel program. We send, you know, barrels all over the country. We just sent one to Sacramento and we just sent one to Denver and, um, yeah, we, we would be happy to get you some info about cool. that. Cool. Yeah. We, we would, yeah. Uh, birdies and bourbon and, and, uh, in conjunction with, um, with the ROC, we would love to get connected about, uh, about a bottled and bond, uh, rum pick. Mm-hmm. That would be, uh, that'd be really fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe a female distilled bottled and bond. There you go. Very cool. Uh, well, hold on. Now, this is where I cross the line, and Dan's like, "Yeah, damn it, everything was going good until you said this." <laughs> I did not. So, if I, if I, no, but he will when we hang up. I do not. Uh, so, if we put a, um, if we put like a, uh, we we're gonna put a little sticker on it of some kind. It doesn't have to be anything cheesy, but if we put a little sticker on it that says like, uh, it could be a statement. It could be like, um, you know. Uh, uh, Rum your ass off. This was made by a female. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I have no idea what uh, it's going to say. Digress. He's digress. Yeah. Okay, I'm hanging up no. now. <laughs> All right, Karen. I got a question for you. So you, you threw us for a curveball. I thought we were going to talk about beaches the entire time with rum, and you went to the mountains. I'm, I'm just kidding. But no, seriously though, you are a world traveler. Do you have anything on the bucket list that you still want to travel to? You haven't done yet. 
Oh my gosh. So my current obsession is Slovenia. Um, I just have gone down the rabbit hole of the fact that the mountains, so I went, I turned 50 a couple years ago and I went to Italy and went to um, the Dolomites and did all this Via Ferrata climbing um, with my, a group of girlfriends. And we just had an amazing trip and I wanted to reproduce that, but I want to go to a different country. So I started looking at Slovenia, which is just across the border from Italy and Austria. Um, and they have this mountain range uh, and they have 180 huts up in the mountains. And so oh, wow. um, I've been yeah down, down the rabbit hole looking at all the different peaks you can climb and Via Ferrata routes you can do and um, places to drink lovely things on the patio of a high altitude hut somewhere on the side of a mountain. Nice. And then uh, the only, one other travel question I have, and Cal, I think she can help you with your upcoming travels to uh, in February. Oh yeah, um, uh, I'm gonna. I hope I, I get this right. My Spanish is uh, it's just the accent, but uh, Valle de Guadalajara, Guadalupe, Valle de Guadalupe, to an island, Guadalupe. No, 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 no. This is um, yeah. So it's the uh, va- uh, it's the Valley of de Guadalupe, but in Mexico, in Mexico, in Spanish, I would say the Valle de Guadalupe which is, um, it's off the west coast of me- northern Mexico. So if you, if you were to go to um, uh, where Cabo San Lucas and you were to go due east, yeah. you would hit like Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. And if you go north of Puerto Vallarta, north and inland, like north and east inland, maybe uh, um, it's probably 50 or 60 miles. It's the Napa of, uh, they're calling it the Napa of, uh, Napa Valley of Mexico. Have you, have you wow. been there? Karen? I have not. I've, um, you know, just in that same, uh, there are some places in that same region that I have been to. Um, my, my husband speaks fluent Spanish. And so we often end up in these remote parts of various Spanish speaking countries. Um, we speak between the two of us, you know, we, like I speak Hindi, he speaks, uh, he speaks Spanish oh, and cool. Chinese. So wow. like we can pretty much get around wherever we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that sounds like a lovely trip. That means you're going to get to drink some wine. Um, I, I went, we went to Chile not too long ago and went to the Pisco Elki Valley, which is like where they have all the Pisco. Oh, that yeah. was super fun and highly recommended. I'm a, definitely a Pisco fan. Yeah, we just did that in, uh, where do we go to? We went to uh, Machu Picchu. Uh, yeah, yeah we, we, yeah, we did the whole, uh, yeah, we did the whole, th- well, two years ago, not, not in, tw- we didn't do it in 2020, of course. I don't know if anybody really did anything in 2020, but <laughs> we did it in, uh, you know, we, we'd, uh, you know, drink the tea and did the, you know, it's like Pisco Sours out the, I mean, I'm like, I love a gin fizz. I mean, of course I'll drink a Pisco Sour. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Well, and you know, there's a big argument between Chile and Peru as to who really has good. Who? Pisco. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, I haven't been to Chile yet, but, uh, you know, I figure, uh, you know, in due time and do I'm, I'm going to Chile when I can go skiing. So there's there. And how's the skiing in Crested Butte, by the way? It comp- so I've skied, uh, uh, I ski Park City quite often. 
um, and 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 the others, you know, that they've joined now. What's the canyons and all that? Uh, I've skied Vail often. I've skied uh, uh, kind of the gamut of of those, um, uh, you know, the Vail communities there in in the Vail Air Breckenridge and and all those. How's Crested Butte compared to those? So Crested Butte is now owned by the same company that owns Vale and, you know, all those, the Vale Ski Company now owns something like 36. Yeah, Park City, everything pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's the, you know, it's widely considered to be one of the hardest ski areas mm. in Colorado. Um, it's also um, one of the hardest to get to, you know, so it's kind of off the beaten track. You don't get on I-70 and go west like you do to all the other ski areas. So most people end up on the I-70 corridor to, you know, Vail, Aspen. Um, we're more on the southern corridor that leads over to Telluride. Um, and, you know, we just, I just love it. It's at the end of a dead end road in the wintertime. Um, there's a dirt road that goes off the end in the summertime. Um, but we're right up here in this incredibly gorgeous valley. And the skiing is, is everything. I mostly ski in the backcountry. I don't ski the area very often. That just means like I skin up a mountain on, um, with skins on the bottom of my skis and then ski down in the backcountry. It's yep, she's showing off now, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. A little more dangerous, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty safe. I've been doing it for 30 years. So I know yeah. a lot about avalanche terrain and prevention and all that stuff. Right. But I've lost that is, a lot of good friends to avalanches for sure. Oh. Yeah, that's awesome that you found a spot where you can do something that you love. Uh, not not only recreate, well, I mean, I don't know, it, at this point, isn't your job recreational even though it's a job? Um, yeah, my job is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I work too much, but I'm the luckiest person on the planet when it comes to work, for sure. Perfect. Yeah, Karen, uh, it, it's such a fantastic time. I mean, uh, we, we can talk for hours, um, I'm sure, and just keep drinking and, and uh, go. Well, I could keep drinking. You, you haven't uh, you're not indulging it. You probably got to go uh, get those screws. I'm like, uh, how did I end up in the conference room with no booze? I, I, it's like, I don't know. Don't, don't you uh, don't you own the joint? So uh, I, I, I don't know. But it, it's been really awesome chatting. Uh, one thing I would like to know is uh, so, you know, when we release uh, um, where can people find uh, Montana rum at? Very good question. So, um, you know, it, there's no question it's more easy to find in the like east, northeast, and in everywhere west of the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. um, the south is just challenging, but there is Montana rum in in uh, Georgia, Atlanta. We are distributed by National Distributing Company. Um, we're, you know, every Whole Foods pretty much that has a liquor license west of the Mississippi has Montana rum. Um, we, you know, we send a lot of rum to New York and New Jersey and um, North Dakota and South Dakota of all places. So what I recommend is that people go to our website and read about what states we have distribution in and who our distributor is. The, the best way with a small brand like ours is to walk into your liquor store and say, hey, I checked their website. Their distributor is Young's Market or R&DC or Boss Selections or whatever, depending on what state you're in. And um, 
And could you see if you could order this? Because the chances of you finding us on your shelf outside of a pretty big metropolitan area like San Francisco, LA, Denver, New York City um, is going to be it's going to be low mm -hmm. just because fighting for real estate on these small liquor store shelves is really challenging and we don't want to get lost. Right. Uh, we have a lot of good online retail. Um, we have, you know, mapping software on our website where you can, if you were in uh, Colorado, you could put in your zip code and it would tell you the five stores that are within, you know, 10 minutes of where you're standing. Cool. So. Do you guys do the online? So like with, uh, with bourbon or I'm sorry, with seal box or drizzly or do you distributed like uh, to be able to ship? We're not with seal box, but we're with a number of other companies. So drizzly thousand corks. Um, yeah. okay. there's an amazing one in the Chicago lands area that's called spirit hub. And they also do like Nebraska and, um, a number of other states. Oh, cool. so, yeah, we there's we have lots of great online partners and was one of the things that served us really well um, going into COVID was like, you know, we had a really good presence with a lot of online retailers, um, which made it possible to find us when people couldn't leave their houses. Sure. Right. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Karen Hoskin, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, for your hospitality. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know you, you you came on and and I know it says bourbon in the title, but um, there's nothing wrong with sipping on good uh, good booze that are just good sipping booze, and and this is just that. I mean, it's I, I just poured another one and it's even opening up even more. So <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'll, I'll get past that. But uh, but yeah, thanks so much. Thank for, you so much for yeah sharing your story and that's uh, awesome yeah yeah it's been a pleasure and i really hope you'll come visit at some point and come say hello when you're in crested butte it's worth the trip and by then i'll have all my new expansion online and i can take you for the the righteous tour awesome that sounds come great to ski absolutely cheers cheers yeah cheers all right take care okay. thanks you guys <laughs>